0: Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you will be opening your Bibles to First Chronicles, we'll be looking uh, at the 13th chapter, <clears throat> reading just a little bit out of the 13th, the 15th, the 16th, and the 17th chapter, and get out on time. How's that for a deal? We want to say a big thank you to our ninth graders. This afternoon, they spent pretty much the entire afternoon uh, raking yards for some of our members that are just wonderful, wonderful folks that it really benefited them greatly. And that's a lot of effort and we really appreciate you. And we want to encourage you to spend your life doing good to all men, especially to those of the household of faith. Also, many of you throughout the year and year and a half, you have hosted the widows and widowers in your home and they want to say thank you tonight by offering you some homemade dessert. It's in the fellowship room. Right after uh, we close this period of worship, you can just step over to the fellowship room. It's already set up and you can enjoy some delicious desserts, some coffee and other drinks. And um, and also, I, I think they're also giving out hugs. And so you can't go wrong with desserts and hugs. And uh, we love and, and appreciate our our widows and widowers so much. They do so much good. Uh, in the life of this church. And we're thankful uh, that they're reaching uh, out to encourage uh, so many of you in that way tonight. So don't, don't forget about that. All the good that we enjoy comes from God. Recollect that. At last, most men forget it. Roland Hill used to say that worldlings were like the hogs under the oak tree which eat the acorns, but never think of the oak from which they fell, nor lift up their heads to grunt out a thanksgiving. Yes, so it is. They munch the gift and murmur at the giver. Charles Spurgeon said that years ago. What about you? Are you like the hogs, the animals that receive every day, and as far as we never know, never pause to think, where does this blessing come from? Surely this week we will remember to be grateful, but surely as God's people, we know the importance of being grateful every day of our life. We talked this morning about the attitude that gratitude was not just a thought, It doesn't become gratitude until we feel the indebtedness and then act upon it to express kindness and gratitude in return. I hope that you and I are able to think about that and apply it to our life with family that we live with, co-workers we work with, friends that we engage in relationships, and especially in the relationship with God. This morning we waded just a little bit into 1 Chronicles and mentioned 2 Chronicles to some degree. We talked about that it was one book written for the purpose of encouraging the exiled people as they came back home. And what they came back home to was not the glory days of Israel by any stretch of the imagination. Israel loved the Davidic kingdom they loved the glorious reign of Solomon and, and how Israel at that point was a world power and Jerusalem was beautiful and the temple was magnificent and things just seemed well. And they come back home to a place that, imagine after Katrina, imagine some kind of horrible devastation and imagine coming back home and starting again And God sent different leaders to help them. The second wave of help, he sent Ezra. And he sent Nehemiah. And perhaps there may be kind of a disconnect in our mind that hopefully we can simply connect tonight. When God sends people, it just seems to click. Oh, sure. That's great. I'm glad that God could send Nehemiah to help them. But have you ever thought about God sent the book of First and Second Chronicles. It was another way to help them, just like Nehemiah was, went, was sent to help them build back the wall. This writing of First and Second Chronicles was meant to show them a continuity that they are still connected to God. They are still connected to the the heritage that comes through Israel from God. That there's still this living hope because of who they are. They're Israel. They're God's people. And so this book that if you and I just open it and either we don't know or we forget the setting behind the book, we think we're only reading a book of history. But really it was God writing what he wanted to pick out. And I want to emphasize that tonight because I'm telling you, I don't know all the reasons why we're studying what we're studying tonight. I just know God put it there. And he put it there to say to people that were discouraged, I want you to learn some of these life lessons. Maybe they were thinking we're not really connected to God and we don't know how to be connected to God. So he, especially in first and second Chronicles, he picks out stories of David and Solomon to say, let me show you my involvement and their involvement in our relationship with each other and with Israel. And then later he does show the divided kingdom but even in that, he shows over and over, you walk with me and I will show you how you will be blessed. You abandon me and I will show you the burden that you will bear when you separate your walk from me. Tonight, I'd like for us to look at parts of three different stories. Let's begin looking at First Chronicles, the 13th chapter. And as we're about to read this, it would help for us all to be reminded that David was building back Jerusalem. Um, or uh, Let me rephrase that. David was building up Jerusalem to be a national capital for Israel. And as we've already mentioned, by the time David's reign and then Solomon's reign, it was gonna be a spectacular place. As he's building it up and there's the tabernacle there with the holy and the most holies, There was something obvious missing you know you remember sesame street when you were a kid that little game something's missing you know there's something really missing and what was real obvious that was missing was the ark of the covenant the holies of holies did not have the ark of the covenant it had been gone now for about 20 years and seven months the philistines had it for about seven months and and then it had been about 10 miles outside of jerusalem for 20 years and so I don't have to tell you all the reasons why David would say, hello, we need to bring the Ark of the Covenant back home. We need to put it in the Holy of Holies. And so this starts out to be a wonderful idea. Look at the 13th chapter in verse 1. Notice what the chronicler brings to emphasis he's inspired by the Holy Spirit of God so God is sending this message and I want you to notice what he emphasizes he literally begins this story by saying then David consulted hmm who do you consult with the captains of thousands and hundreds with every leader and David said to all the assembly of Israel if it seems good to you and if it is of the Lord our God Let us send out to our brethren everywhere who are left in all the land of Israel and with them to the priests and Levites who are in their cities and their common lands that they may gather together to us and let us bring the ark of our God back to us. For we have not inquired of it since the days of Saul. Then all of the assembly said that they would do so for the thing was right, In the eyes of all of the people does that sound acceptable it seems good to bring the ark back home does it seem acceptable that the king consulted with all the other leaders and then makes a presentation to all the people and all the people said it looks right in our eyes this looks like a good thing to do and a good way to do it and so they began in verse seven to carry the ark of God on a new cart from the house of Abinadab and Uzzah and Ahio drove the cart. Now you remember in verse nine that a shot on threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to hold the ark for the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah and he struck him because he put his hand to the ark and he died there before God. And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. Therefore, the place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. David was afraid of God that day saying, how can I bring the ark of God to me? What just happened? Why did God kill a man? Because he touched the ark. If you hold your finger here, I just wanna show you, if you wanna go back and study this more, you could go back to Exodus 25. I'm gonna turn you back, if you will, to Numbers the fourth chapter. In Numbers the fourth chapter, we see what God delivered to Moses and Moses delivered to the people. And I'm gonna read just a few lines from Numbers the fourth chapter in verse 5. Numbers 4th chapter and verse 5: When the camp prepares to journey, Aaron and his sons shall come and they shall take down the covering veil. See, that's that's the veil in the ark, or in the uh, tabernacle, and cover the ark of the testimony with it. And then it continues to talk about other things that they will do. Even in verse 6, they'll insert the poles. And then in verse 11, that's said again, that they shall insert the poles. And then when you go down to the middle of verse 15, the middle of verse 15, the sons of Kohath shall come to carry them, but they shall not touch any holy thing. What did he say? Lest they die. These are the things in the tabernacle of the meeting which the sons of Kohath are to carry. In other words God had made it very clear that only the Levitical tribe was to deal with these things. And the ark was to be carried only by poles that would run through the ark and carried up on shoulders. And what we've just read was David consulting with other leaders and the idea of let's build a new cart. Let's Let's bring this home on the cart. Turn with me, if you will, now to the 15th chapter. Remember what we just read was David was angry with God. You know, God can handle you being angry with him. That's, as far as I know, that's not a problem with God that we would ever be angry with him. The question is, can you be angry and sin not? So what do we do with our anger toward God? David had a heart after God's heart. And what we see throughout scripture is we see David's faults oftentimes revealed. But also we see the beauty and the humility of David seeking God's way after his faults. I'd like for you to notice how the 15th chapter David built houses for himself in the city of David, and he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. Then David said, now I want you to think how different this chapter begins than the 13th chapter. David said, look how adamant this is. No one may carry the ark of God, but the Levites. For the Lord has chosen them to carry the ark of God and to minister before him forever. And so David calls together and he makes the plans over the next several verses. And he even in 12 gets the house of the Levites together and tells them to sanctify themselves, that they are prepared to do this. And in 13, I want you to notice how David states this. For because you did not do it the first time, talking about carrying the ark, the Levites did not do it. The Lord our God broke out against us because we did not consult him about the proper order. And the idea there the proper order is the proper decree. In other words, God has spoken about this and we did not, what? His words. We did not consult God. Go back to the 13th chapter, verse 1 and 2. David consulted the leaders. He consulted the people. He was the king. So if you wanted to, he could even say he consulted the king. Hey, as a king, I think this is a good idea. Now he's learned a valuable lesson. It doesn't matter if all the leaders say it's right. It doesn't matter if all the people say it's right. It doesn't matter if you're the king. And you say it's right. What matters is the word of God. What has God said on this? Now, <clears throat> I'm going to continue. We we just stopped reading verse 13. Let's pick up in 14. So the priests and the Levites sanctified themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord of God of Israel and the children of the Levites bore the ark of God on their shoulders by its poles. Now notice this, he, he, he could have just said that, but notice, and, and what I want you to see is not just the story here, but I want you to notice what the chronicler emphasizes in this story. The way it's written, the emphasis is on who are you gonna consult with? And then notice this right here. He could have just said they carried it like God said, but notice put on the, the, the ark of God on the shoulders, by its pose, as Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord. Let's get this real straight when moses spoke he spoke the word of the lord when you disobey moses you disobey god moses spoke the word of the lord you ignored the word of the lord what did the word of the lord say you touch it and you'll die Uzzah, so what did you do well, i didn't know any better i didn't know i was supposed to. i was just doing what the king said the king told me to be a part of this and i was a part of it god how could you do this that's what happens when god says you touch it and you shall die It doesn't matter if the king says it's fine for you to put it on a new cart and it's fine for you to touch it. It's not fine. How can you say it's not fine? Because the word of the Lord said it wasn't fine. I don't care what PhDs tell you. I don't care how many leaders tell you. I don't care how many different churches tell you. I don't care if everybody you know says, oh, it's fine. What you and I must make our conviction to be is people that says, I want to hear the word of the Lord on this matter. Why is this so important to people that are broken down in their morale? Do you realize what God is trying to do? He's trying to give them the seed of truth that will lift them back up. And somebody says, well, what's the seed of truth? Walk with God. Don't listen to what all your neighbors are saying because keep in mind, if they're beaten down, they're gonna look around and see neighboring kingdoms that's looking good. Those pagan those pagan nations are looking great. Maybe we ought to listen to what they say. And God is showing over and over in these short stories, listen to me, I can bless you. But if you decide to work against me, do you realize this? God is righteous, he's holy, and he's just. There is no partiality with God. So God cannot alter what is righteous just to appease you. And so God is literally making a plea of work with me. I can help you if you work with me. In a sense, God is handcuffed. I can't help you if you won't work with me because I'm just, I'm not partial. And if you want to disobey Moses, The law I gave Moses? It doesn't matter what your last name is. And it doesn't matter how many people said it was a great idea. And it doesn't even matter if my King David said it was a great idea. You should have consulted God. So they consulted God and this time they brought the ark home just fine. And even better than just fine. They brought the ark home with a lot of rejoicing. What do you think the chronicler is trying to tell them here? Look how happy, look how joyous, look at the praise and the glory when we decide to do things God's way. And if you have your Bible open, notice there in the 16th chapter, David wrote a song of thanksgiving and the chronicler decided that this needed to be put in here for us to read. And we mentioned this morning, and I just wanna mention to you three aspects of this. Notice in verse eight, when he said, as it begins, oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name. And we mentioned that this morning. How? how do you know to call upon the name of the Lord if you don't know him? You know, I gave you the illustration this morning. If, if, if a coach looks around a particular athlete and he calls his number, hey, I want you to go in. There's a certain play that I know you can run better than anybody and I want you to go in. Why are you calling that particular athlete? Because you know what he can do. When's the last time you called upon God? I can tell you this, whether or not you called upon God is tied directly to your understanding of who is God. If you don't know God, you're not gonna call upon God in your life because you don't know who he is. You don't know what he can do. And on the other hand, somebody's devoted their life to learning who God is They call upon God every day in their life because they know how great and awesome God is. They know how they can trust God. They know that his wisdom is so much greater than their foolishness. And so every day they're calling upon God to direct their life. And so notice the next few lines is that idea that we would call upon him if we would make known his deeds among the people. In other words, more people would call upon him if they really knew what he could do. Sing to him, sing psalms to him. Talk of the wondrous works. That's the marvels that he does. And then that would lead us to glory. And notice in 12, again, remember these marvelous works. Works like what, 15, the covenant. Remember the covenant that he made with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And then in 18, notice this bold one. Remember that he told Israel that he would give them the land of Canaan. And that's why other nations lived in the land of Canaan. Let this sink in. He's looking in the next verse, he's looking to a very small nation. And he's saying to a very small nation of people, Hey, by the way, I'm gonna give you that land over there. Oh, don't worry about all the inhabitants. I'll drive them out, I'll give it. And you know what, God did it. How marvelous are those deeds? These are the things that Israel was to recall to each other and recognize how great and powerful God is. That leads us to 29 when he says, give to the Lord the glory due his name. If you don't know him, if you don't know the marvelous deeds that God has already done, you don't know how much glory is due to his name. You have to know God to know how much glory is due to his name. And so if we know him, we can know things like this. The response, in other words, would be things like this. Read the rest of 29. Bring an offering and come before him. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. The world also is firmly established. It shall not be moved. Did you bring an offering tonight? I'm not talking about passing a, a plate. Did you bring a heart that knows God and loves God? And tonight we've sung beautiful songs of praise. Did you make that offering from Hebrews 13 talks about the lips, an offering from the lips to God? If you don't really know God, you just sang some words and it really wasn't an offering because you don't know why you would praise God. And I'm not criticizing you. I'm just saying those songs would have a deep meaning of offering if you really know who God is because every line has to do about us offering ourselves to him. You see, it's really impossible for us to glorify. Remember this morning we talked about glorifies to lift up God, to extol him if we don't know who he is, we don't know how high to lift him. We don't even know how to lift him up because we don't know all of the wondrous deeds that he's done. We don't know who he is. But yet, if we do know him, we can bring an offering. We can come before him. We can worship him. And we worship in the beauty of holiness. And that ties back to the previous paragraph that we skipped over. But it's a paragraph where he reminds them that he's not an idol. And oftentimes, idolatrous worship was linked to carnal fleshly behavior. And they would do things that would be very immoral in the name of their religion. And so now he's, he has just covered just a little bit of that, not touching directly on that, but touching directly on the idea of God's not an idol. And now he turns around and he says, we're going to worship our God. We're going to praise him. We're going to glorify him. We're going to bring an offering to him. We're going to worship him in what? The beauty of holiness. He's holy. He calls us to be Holy. When we are cleansed by God and brought into his presence to worship, all he asks of us is purity. All he asks of us is holiness. And those people that worshipped idols got themselves deeper and deeper ingrained in carnal and fleshly living. And so here, who do we lift up? We lift up the Holy God. And he helps us through a worship of him find that holiness ourselves. And then finally on this chapter of praise, I want to mention to you Verse 35, I, I, I struggled whether or not to say it this way because I, I don't want to say something that's not true and I don't want to say something I can't back up. But I, I, wanted to, I wanted to say to you, and 35 is kind of like the ultimate praise. And, and I don't know if I'm safe to say ultimate, that's a pretty high standard. But notice what David realizes about God and, and it would be one of the highest things that we could ever cry out to God for. And he says in 35, I want you to notice the pronoun us three times here and say, Save us, O God of our salvation. Gather us together and deliver us from the Gentiles to give thanks to your holy name, to triumph in your praise. David is speaking very much from the idea that there's a physical enemy out there that would love to destroy Israel, the Philistines namely to be one. And he realizes that the only way That they have strength and the only way that they are strong is because God has saved them God has gathered them the idea hey let me bring you in close and take care of you God has delivered them from their enemy and into a place that is New Testament language of salvation through Jesus Christ we have an enemy And the only way that the enemy will not destroy us is for God to save us. And when he saves us, he gathers us. It's the idea of sanctification. We leave the world and he's the one that conveys us. This is Colossians 1 language. He conveys us into the kingdom of his dear son. He gathers us into his kingdom. And because of that, we're delivered from the enemy and to our heavenly father. When we think of reasons, this this whole passage here is a psalms of thanksgiving and praise. And it can't be a coincidence or insignificant that it ends by the praise being God, we know why we're calling on your name. We know why we glorify you and lift you up. You're our Savior. You're the only one who can deliver us. You're the only one who can gather us. And how beautiful is that? And this next point is the quickest of all the points and we'll make this one very quick, but I'd like for you to look in the 17th chapter. I'm not saying all three of these tie together smoothly. I'm just saying that when we look at one segment of 1 Chronicles, This is what the chronicler inspired by God wrote to the people to encourage them not to be downtrodden. In other words, we could take away what he emphasized in the story of the ark was he emphasized the fact that we need to be careful who we consult. And if we'll just consult God, it will bring the great things in our life and it will cause us to burst out in praise and thanksgiving like David. Look at the great things that God has done. God is saving us. God is delivering us. And sometime we get so excited with the great things that are being done that we just want to jump in there and do even greater things. Things like this, 17 and 1. Now it came to pass when David was dwelling in his house that David said to Nathan the prophet, See how I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under tent, curtains. Now now you see what he's saying there, right? A house was considered a permanent structure. David says, Nathan, have, have you noticed this? I'm in a permanent structure and God lives in a tent. And not only that, Nathan, let me be frank with you. I live in a really nice house In that day and time if you live in a cedar house you're telling me you live in a nice big cedar house yes I'm the king I built a nice big cedar house I live in a permanent structure that's made out of very nice materials and Nathan the ark of the covenant has the mercy seat of my God he sits in a tent a temporary structure just made with curtain doesn't sound really nice to me hmm verse 2 Nathan said to David do all that is in your heart for God is with you but it happened that night that the Word of God came to Nathan saying go and tell my servant David thus says the Lord now wait a minute that sounds like what we studied before how important it is consult the Lord you mean to tell me when Nathan said that back in verse 2 that he told David to do what was ever was in his heart and that God was with him you mean to tell me that wasn't from God no that was from Nathan now think about it. do whatever's in your heart the idea of your heart your deepest desire but also the idea of your heart is probably pointing to sincerity David, look, this is something you really want to do from God. David, just look in your heart. And if it's the sincere desire of your heart, you just go out and you do what you think is right for God. And so God comes to Nathan this night and he tells him in verse four, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, you shall not build me a house to dwell in. For I have not dwelt in a house since the time I brought up Israel, even to this day but have gone from tent to tent and from one tabernacle to another, wherever I've moved about with all of Israel. Have I ever spoken a word to any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? And then he continues for several verses explaining why David is not gonna build a house. I don't doubt David's sincerity here. But you and I need to be aware of a very important thing. That you are not God. And just because you think something is really important and you think something really ought to be done for God doesn't mean it's important to God. and doesn't mean that God wants it. I just want to let you think about that for a moment you can believe with all of your heart something is very important but how are you going to know whether or not it's important to god well notice what his answer was his answer was not only hey david this isn't important to me but notice how he explains it he literally explains it by saying i've been talking to prophets and judges for a long time now david well he's talking to nathan nathan tell david this Have I ever said to one of them, have I ever said a word to one of them about why have you left me in a tabernacle? Have I said to one of them, I sure wish you'd build me a permanent house. Have I said to one of them, I'd like a nice house made out of maybe cedar. And what would Nathan and what would David have to say? No, God, you've never mentioned that. I don't know how to emphasize this except to just beg you to take and chew on it and study it and make it a part of our hearts. We are not God. His thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts and we are verging on the height of foolishness and arrogance whenever we start saying, well, I think God would want this and our, I think God would want this, has nothing to do with the word of God. It just has to do with something that we have in our heart that we really feel passionate about and we're really sincere about. Don't ever bring God into your passions and sincerity unless God has brought himself into it. And that's sometimes hard for us to not do because it's easy for us to talk ourselves into, this is so important, this is so true, but it doesn't become important and true to God until God says it's important and true. And so what God's gonna do here is he, is going to allow a temple to be built, but he will not allow David to build it and he will allow his son Solomon to build it. And so we close with, be kind of asking you this. What do you think David's response is going to be? It's something he really wanted to do. Do you think that, that David's going to shake a fist at God and say, forget it. I'm not even going to have my son Solomon to do it. I'm mad at you, God. Now, what, do you, what did he do when God when he was angry with God before? He went back and started reason, reading Moses' law. And he humbled himself and he turned to God. What do you think he's going to do right here when when? things aren't going the way I just want to read just a few verses and we close verse 20 this is what he is saying to the Lord after he receives word that that David's not going to build the temple this is what this is what David says verse 20 Oh Lord there is none like you nor is there any God besides you according to all that we have heard with our ears And who is like your people, Israel, the one nation on the earth whom God went to redeem for himself as a people to make for yourself a name by great and awesome deeds, by... Driving out nations from before your people whom you redeemed from Egypt for you have made your people Israel Your very own people you see what he's saying to the ones that are downtrodden here and they're reading this They're still a part of this lineage. You are God's very own people forever and you are the Lord have become their God and now O Lord the word which you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house Let it be established forever and do as you have said Where's the anger? Where's the, God, I'm gonna rebel. Instead, there's none of that. Instead, there's praise. God, you've spoken on it and I surrender my will to you and let it be exactly as you have said because your word has been spoken. Do you realize what Israel's future could have been if they would have just walked step and step with God And always had a heart that said, I'm going to consult God. And I'm going to praise God and glorify God. And when something is important in my heart, I'm going to pause and see, is it important to God before I just plow forward? Brethren, you can't hold back a church that's willing to live like that because they have the power of God moving them that's greater than any force Satan has. You can't hold back an individual that lives their life like that because they have the power of God guiding them. You can't hold back a family when the whole family says God's will be done and they mean it. Tonight, before we move anything Let's see what God and consult Him on it. Before we step out and desire of the heart, let's always ask God, what do you want? Tonight, is there anything we could do to help you move into this great week that in America we call Thanksgiving week? That you could first and foremost be thankful because you're saved. If you're not saved right now, we do not, we're begging you, do not leave this building in the condition you're in. Consult God and obey him. Let's leave here tonight giving praise that he saved you and he's gathered you and he's delivered you. Tonight, if you're ready to be immersed into Christ or you're ready to be restored and we can help you in any way, comes we stand, as we sing.